From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, April 15th. I'm Monique Aiken. Today, I'm joined by Impact Alpha editor and CEO, David Bank, to get a preview of next week's Agents of Impact call. Hi, David. Hey, Monique. We're going to be talking about catalytic climate capital for adaptation and social equity. It's a bit of a mouthful, but a super interesting topic. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to hear more. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in impact investing. The market for carbon removal tech got a big boost with a $925 million advanced market commitment led by Stripe and including Alphabet, Shopify, Meta, and McKinsey. They will buy the carbon that climate tech companies are sucking out of the air, speeding commercialization and driving down the price of removal. Natural Fiber Welding raised $85 million for sustainable textiles and materials. The company says it is supplying 100% plant-based, plastic-free, and chemical-free packaging materials for footwear, apparel, car interiors, and handbags. At the Australian Open tennis tournament, Ralph Lauren introduced a polo shirt made from cotton fabric supplied by NFW. A bipartisan group of senators introduced a set of reforms for Opportunity Zones, the tax break for projects in low-income neighborhoods that has been subject to abuses. The Opportunity Zone Transparency, Extension, and Improvement Act includes impact reporting requirements, sunsetting for higher income census tracts, and $1 billion for community capacity building. The primary regulator of the U.S. insurance industry approved climate risk reporting standards based on the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. And President Biden nominated two new commissioners to the SEC, one Democrat and one Republican. In her institutional impact column, Imogen Rose Smith shared the curious case of the U.S. ESG critic at the head of a Russian aluminum conglomerate. She tells the story of Christopher Bancroft Burnham, a veteran U.S. consultant and leading critic of ESG investing, who now finds himself in the political hot seat. Burnham is the new board chairman of EN+, the Russia-based holding company that until 2018 was owned and controlled by Oleg Deripaska, a Russian oligarch. Deripaska, who still holds a big stake, is under sanctions in the United States and since the invasion of Ukraine in the UK as well. Impact Alpha subscribers got all of these stories and more in their email each day this week. So David, climate adaptation is the subject of next week's Agents of Impact call and also social equity. Tell us more. Well, we're excited about this call because it feels like the climate adaptation financing solutions are finally starting to come into focus. You know, adaptation has always been sort of played second fiddle to climate mitigation, um, you know, removing carbon from the supply chain and from production and whatnot. But climate adaptation is obviously, you know, essential as, as, as the effects of climate change hit home. Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Guterres, has pressed for half of all climate financing to go to adaptation, but right now at the level is something like 7%. Um, And then the key to that is, even the 7%, is to make sure that it really targets the most vulnerable and at-risk populations, you know, low-income countries and low-income people who, of course, had the least to do with creating the climate crisis, but are now hurt the worst by it. We're making the case on the call that equity, driving the protection and the benefits down the economic pyramid, is really the key to the cl- to you know climate solutions, and that means designing adaptation solutions by and with and and for those communities. I couldn't agree more. We're lifting the floor and not just the ceiling, as I like to say. 
And I actually just finished reading A Bigger Picture by Ugandan climate activist Vanessa Nakate, who grapples with many of those themes, as well as the absence of the African voice in so much of the climate conversation. She and others are fighting such erasure. And what are some of the examples from the field that you've been covering? Well, our colleague Jessica Pothering and I did a piece this week on smallholder farmer finance, which is kind of where a lot of this you know, touches down. It struck me how much climate change is becoming the disruption that forces a rethinking of smallholder farmer financing in general, which is something that was long overdue even, even without climate change. So, you know, access to capital for better seeds and varieties or solar powered irrigation or farming techniques that restore the soil or protect the watersheds. We're going to have Ben Njenga from Apollo Agriculture in Kenya, which is one of the leaders in this integrated approach, you know, better inputs and technology, better data and analytics and better terms for financing and lots of hands on on the ground help for farmers who are the customers and the borrowers. That's not unlike how the pandemic drove the digitalization of small businesses, which is changing small business finance. Exactly. That was the topic of an earlier Agents of Impact call. And now the Ukraine crisis is disrupting food and energy, especially in developing countries. Uh, You mentioned UN Secretary General Guterres. He said that up to 1.7 billion people face food, energy, and finance disruptions. Food prices are up. Energy prices are up. Development is stalled, and many countries are at risk of default. You know, it's another in the series of disruptions for which actually climate resilience solutions, you know, clean energy, sustainable agriculture, and so on, are the solutions. So the question is how to finance all that. We're going to have Jay Coe from the Lightsmith Group, which has just raised $186 million for one of the first climate adaptation private equity funds, and Reka Unitan of Nuveen, you know, the big, uh, asset manager, um, which just committed $100 million through the Shell Foundation to these kind of climate solutions in Africa and South Asia, and then also Song Bei Li from USAID, which is obviously very interested in all this. One emerging idea is to find ways to get paid for so-called climate adaptation co-benefits. Um, those are, you know, sort of like carbon credits, but for the social side, essentially. Um, one way is people are thinking about is to attach them to carbon credits, um, which the which companies and others are already paying for. Here's Duke University's Jonathan Phillips, who's been working on this. You know, everyone's got an eye to the carbon market. You know, is, is it maybe it's easier to just do carbon co-benefits? You know, like if we can quantify certain amount of women's time savings that goes along with this this ton of carbon versus that ton of carbon, maybe that's a way to get at developing country uh-huh. SMEs, you know? So that's something that's also happening. It's called like the sustainable development goal co-benefits in the carbon market. So you've got, you know, you've got companies that are looking to go net zero. They're using the voluntary carbon market to get there. And some of them might not be willing to pay a premium to have a project based in Cote d'Ivoire that provides, you know, gender-based benefits, but some might. It's interesting because these benefits are obviously inextricably linked. And, um, you know, this is an incredibly complex topic, but financing for it is key to being able to realize these goals for the real world, real outcomes. And my, my friend, Dr. Jillian Marcel, is going to be on the call as well. And she's talked a lot about what we need to do to drive change and how we think this triple brief framework that she has been working on it's a way to reframe our activities and really a, a new lens by which to approach this work. And I, I think she'll she'll bring a lot to the conversation as well. 
Yeah, we're very much looking forward to having her. And, you know, you're right. It's absolutely not this kind of binary distinction between mitigation and adaptation, you know, or 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 equity and, and, and climate for that matter. The, the solutions have to bring in all of that. For example, you know, just think about block power, which we featured on this podcast last week. It's both a climate adaptation solution in terms of, you know, better insulation, heating and cooling for apartments. It's a climate mitigation solution in terms of lowered carbon emissions from, from buildings. And um, and it's a social equity solution in that it's, you know, bringing better housing and, and better living conditions, um, you know, to low income people and, and to you know housing in sort of every neighborhood. I mean, these are interlocking lenses by which we need to view the solutions um, creation and scaling race, gender, geography, income, economics. It's it's all it's all connected. We're going to try to pull at least some of that together in next week's call. And we're very much looking forward to it. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks, David. And thanks to our producer, Isaac Silk. Subscribe to get full access to Impact Alpha and The Daily Brief. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Make sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.